in the beginning i still remember the first court that we conducted in 2016 was a massive clash of culture i mean you can imagine we had 12 no back then it was seven government organization our largest court was with 12 government organizations we had 30 to 40 startups each startup bringing three teams from literally all over the world and when i talk about clash of culture i don't mean the clash of nationality and the cultures but the clash between a very process-oriented hierarchically structured government organization and a very lean and agile startup and there were things such as um, government organizations of course had their starting time during at 7.30 latest. So they were in the office at 7.30. And our startups who had calls the whole night through with their peers back home were kind of like rolling in, you know, with their flip-flops and shorts and a Starbucks coffee because there was a Starbucks um, shop just around the corner at around 10, 10.30. <laughs> and that was a huge clash of culture. So Karen, firstly, I'm honored to welcome you to the Startup Garage podcast. Um, it's, I mean, we have been rescheduling for quite some time, but finally, here we are. <laughs> Thank you so much, Weber, for inviting me and for allowing me to speak on this episode of Startup Garage. Thanks. So to quickly introduce you for our audiences, I picked up some super interesting points from your social media. So we'll discuss all of these in detail in the podcast. So uh, for our audiences, Karen is a renowned innovation expert. She has worked across the world in Dubai, Bangalore and Austria. I was surprised to know that you spent time in Bangalore, by the way. She was a part of the team at Microsoft that launched the Windows Phone. She has designed and executed seven cohorts with more than one 50 startups for Dubai Future Accelerator and is also a volunteer in a female firefighting squad, which is super, super cool. <laughs> so for someone who has had so many different experiences and has been uh, around the globe working for corporates, startups, governments, and so many different kinds of organizations in a smaller setup, in a bigger setup, how do you define innovation and how has it defined your career path? So Tell us all things, Karen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate um, throughout my career that I had had I've had had amazing opportunities, um, starting from working at Microsoft when Windows Phone was launched, which back then the only competitor really was Apple. So it was a very interesting um, learning experience to enter a new market that we hadn't had any footing in yet. Um, and then having the chance to work in Bangalore, I was. I, I took part in the exchange program that took place in Delhi during my studies, and I was quite fascinated by India. And when I had the opportunity to explore the southern part, I was really happy that I could take it. And then somehow moving to Bangalore has led me to Dubai uh, and the United Arab Emirates, a country I had never really considered of moving to and working in, but it was fantastic. With regards to innovation, I think, I mean, there's not really an official definition of what innovation is. But for me, it's simply the question of, can we do things better? And better can mean cheaper, can mean faster, can be more environmentally friendly, can be easier for our employees, better quality for our customers. So it really challenging the status quo. Because oftentimes when you work with an organization and you bring up the topic of change, there are some people who are super excited. But then there's a certain group, and I think that's just a human response to change and transformation that are a bit skeptical and that usually respond to 
but why should we change? It has always worked like this and it works well. But well doesn't mean that it's the best way of working. So it's really challenging the status quo and trying to understand how we can do things, processes, manufacture products, create software, deliver them better. Awesome. Uh, you've also worked um, in hardcore corporate jobs before you actually got interested in the whole innovation startups and, and technology space. So you've worked in traditional businesses. I won't really call them traditional, but you've worked in a traditional role within a technology company. You worked with Microsoft and um, then you move towards innovation slowly, right? And then you also, I mean, you came to Dubai Future Accelerator, like you mentioned, from Bangalore, where you've designed and executed these specific innovation programs. But before we come to that, I want to know a bit more about your experiences in particular that shaped your interest towards innovation, towards startups in particular. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. I was reflecting when I returned to Austria on if there is a kind of like consistency among the roles I've had or, you know, what what has been a core theme throughout my career. And I think what I came up with is that I have always designed and delivered programs and created communities in the field of innovation and tech and in particular emerging tech in the last few years. And when we talk about programs, those were on the one hand side, accelerators, incubators, pitching hack, uh, competitions and hackathons, but also educational workshops or conferences that connect potential buyers with solution providers. So this programming aspect has been a consistency. And what I really enjoy doing and the whole process of is it's it has a bit of a journalistic approach to it because you have to research the market, you have to speak to experts to really understand what's going on and what is required. Um, and those experts can be professional in organization that you want to connect with startups, you need to understand what exactly are they looking for. But also experts can be somebody from the HR department leading the learning and development um, um, initiative to understand what kind of program they need. And then really finding the right solution providers or the right startups or trainers that you can connect them with. So I've always seen myself as, as, as a bridge builder in a way between somebody who needs something and somebody who has to offer something. <laughs> That's a that's a really cool approach. And also um, now coming to the programs, like you mentioned, you have designed, uh, you have you have uh, gone to various experts, taken inspiration from them, and then you have designed these programs and have run these programs across the globe. And they focus on innovation, they focus on startups, emerging technologies. And the most interesting part for me has been um, your achievements in the Middle East region because I mean we'll come to how how the how you sort of maneuvered through and navigated the challenges and everything but I before that I want to know about these different kinds of programs that you're talking about and specifically the innovation programs what is what is the objective for an organization to develop these like why are they important in the first place Absolutely. Um, I had the honor to work for the Buy Future Foundation for almost four years. So I was employee number 13 when I joined and when I left, we were over 120 people, which was fascinating. 
And it was really an honor because the projects we work on and the programs we developed were extremely unique and, and very bold as well. And there was a huge sense of risk taking, which I think you need when you work in the innovation space. And um, these programs that we built were focused on ultimately speeding up innovation in the government sector. And traditionally, government organization, as well as larger corporates, they tend to work with a set list of buyers, usually established companies, which is great, right? I mean, it's fantastic. They offer great solutions and products. But when you talk about innovation, in particular emerging tech, startups and scale-ups are usually at the forefront of it and the, the drivers of emerging tech innovation. But given the current procurement process, it was very difficult for government organizations to work with startups because they didn't really have a track record. They usually also were not in the country. Um, and it was just not really possible from a compliance or government's perspective. So the program that we built really focused on understanding what kind of requirements government organizations have, as well as we then later worked with family businesses and, and multinational corporates to then see, is there maybe an opportunity for them to work with startups and scale-ups and explore how they could work together? Because there are different ways of collaborating with startups and scale-ups for an organization. And the very, very interesting approach was simply seeing how these organizations and primarily the teams that we were working with and had the honor of working with really changed their mindset when it came, came to working with startups. Um, in the beginning, I still remember the first court that we conducted in 2016 was a massive clash of culture. I mean, you can imagine we had 12, no, back then it was seven government organizations. Our largest court was with 12 government organizations. We had 30 to 40 startups, each startup bringing three teams from literally all over the world. And when I talk about clash of culture, I don't mean the clash of nationality and the cultures, but the clash between a very process oriented, hierarchically structured government organization and a very lean and agile startup. And there were things such as um, government organizations, of course, had their starting time during at 7.30 latest. So they were in the office at 7.30. And our startups who had calls the whole night through with their peers back home, we're kind of like rolling in, you know, with their flip-flops and shorts and a Starbucks coffee because there was a Starbucks um, shop just around the corner at around 10, 10.30. <laughs> and that was a huge clash of culture. And also understanding that um, time, you know, the time understanding is very different. Our programs were nine weeks, the longest, and nine weeks for a startup is a long time, right? That, that That's quite a substantial time. But for a government organization, it's really not a long time. So also making sure that they understand the urgency and they can communicate it internally was, was very interesting. And I really have to give credit to those teams we had a chance to work with because the last court that um, I was running with my, the team that I was working with, which was absolutely brilliant and they still are brilliant, um, was such a different experience because everybody, everybody got it, you know, but it, it took some time to get it and to learn it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I must give it to uh, the government organizations in the UAE because the kind of bets that they take are definitely a lot more riskier than what even some of the most advanced corporations would dare to even think of, right? And 
Absolutely, um, yes. I mean, yeah. I remember back in 2017 when they said that they are going to be paper, they're going to be a paper free um, government by the year 2022. And I think it's going to be a reality now. And also, I mean, you look at all the all the modern wonders of the world and you'll see um, some part of it in, in the Middle East region, in the UAE region, right? So the government has been really, really um, risk-taking, I would say, and bold in the bets that they have been making. So, and, and since you have worked very closely with all these people from the governments, um, what is the mindset like of a person who has been working in a very conventional setup like you mentioned, it was a clash of two cultures, uh, people walking in in different times, people having completely different mindsets. So while we do understand where startups come from, what is, I, I want you to talk a little bit more about what is the mindset in a corporate or in a government organization of a senior leader who's been working in that setup for quite long and how accepting, how open to change are they when they think about innovation? Mm. That's a great question. I think I'm, I'm going to answer it from a perspective of the lessons that I have learned personally, and that we then, whenever we worked with a new government or private sector organization, kind of like shared as a guideline what they need to keep in mind or prepare in order to successfully collaborate with a startup. And before I do so, I have to absolutely agree with you. I mean, the visionary leadership of the United Arab Emirates is, I think, outstanding. And to me, it was personally a very interesting experience because coming from a democracy uh, where things sometimes move a bit slower because of the way that the system is set up, uh, seeing how quickly decisions are being made and executed and how quickly initiatives and visions are turned into projects has been, has been outstanding. Um, but back to your question, I think what, what we have, what I personally have taken away is that there is kind of like the back end and the front end tweet of an organization wanting to work with a startup or scale up, right? From a back end perspective, you really need to understand what, for example, is the current procurement process. And this can be as how long does it take to evaluate a potential new supplier? What kind of documents are required? Do, for example, um, is it, is it necessary that as part of the submission for you know applying for a new supplier, the, the startup would have to apply a reference of previous clients? What if they don't have any clients? Do they need a stamp? You know, some startups don't have stamps. Do, do, they, do they need a stamp? Which has been a very interesting approach as well. Uh, but then also things such as, well, if you were to work with a startup and it's based outside of the country, do, does the startup have to set up in our country because of, you know, maybe compliance issues, sharing data and so on. And very importantly, and I think that's that's what a lot of organizations get right, but a lot of organizations miss a bit is that you need a quick turnaround when it comes to decisions and you need the top to be involved in innovation programs. It can't just be that, you know, a few mid-level managers or even junior professionals work on an innovation project. No, it has to be approved from the top. The CEO and the C-level team also need to meet those startups, you know, and need to understand what are they bring to the table because ultimately you need this, this approval internally so that the the startup can progress. 
Um, and you also need these internal ambassadors, the teams that we have worked with from the government on a day to day basis, we refer to them as future teams, they were sitting with us and the startups throughout the whole nine weeks and even before when we were doing the evaluation and the outreach and then afterwards when they were working on the projects, so they were really committed. But this also meant in the beginning, and I think this was something that we didn't really consider since they were working in our office. They were not working or being visible in their office, so their coll colleagues were wondering what are they doing. And quite often when you work in the innovation space, um, and particularly when you work with startups, you may have a successful project in the end, but maybe you don't, and maybe what you get is not a new product or enhanced service, but you get lessons that you have learned, you have the education of your professional team on a new emerging technology, for example, but these are not really tangible results. So you really need to understand if you decide to set up an innovation team, what are their KPIs? Their KPIs have to be different than the ones of regular employees. And I think that's that's very interesting. So this is the kind of like the back end. And from a front end perspective, it's just really important to the way you communicate as an organization to startups. And I think here it's very important that you are clear in the expectations you set and what you can offer them, right? Are you, for example, and that's absolutely fine. And I think it's fantastic that in the past years, and I'm sure you have seen this as well, we have seen an increase of organizations interested in working with startups um, or scale ups. And I think some are doing it more from a peer perspective because, you know, it's kind of like good for the employer branding. It's good to be positioned as innovative and that's absolutely okay. But then you need to be clear about that and you need to understand what program works for your purpose, right? I think transparency is very important. Like what can you offer a startup? What do you expect from them? And what would be the potential partnership form that you're looking at? Are you looking at acquiring them? Are you looking at setting up a research and development department together with them? Are you looking at investing with them? Are you looking at forming a joint venture? There's so many variants, but you as an organization really have to understand this is kind of the first step, why you're doing what you're doing. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that clarity comes um, when you are really clear on the objectives that you have with these startups, because unless you have a clear objective in mind, you're just, like you said, you're just playing around and seeing what works and what does not work for you. Maybe that approach is right when you're just starting off. Uh, but the ecosystem that we have right now, where innovation with startups, bringing outside in innovation through startups is such a crucial part of a corporate. I think it becomes all the more important to be clear with your objectives. So um, Karen, one thing that you mentioned was uh, that these corporates have a lot of inhibitions regarding running, the, running these startup programs. There's the internal um, sort of uh, uh, employee dynamics that runs around. Um, there's also, because it, it's getting expensive to invest in startups now, it, the valuations are rising and it's getting expensive. What are the key things you think the startup, the, the corporates should have in their mind before even deciding to have this sort of arrangement with 
those startups. So, for example, if a corporate wants to have an innovation, startups is one way to do it, right? And then yes. there are within startups, there are like, like you mentioned, there are like four or five ways of engaging with them. But even before that, when I'm thinking of engaging with the startups, what do you think I should have in mind? Like what, what are the key things I should think about? Absolutely. Um, I mean, you mentioned that there are different ways of innovation programs that organizations run, public sector organization and private sector corporates. Um, those can be, you know, setting up teams internally from employees that have an idea, having a venture building team, setting up um, uh, a VC, like being part of a VC internally that invests in startups. Um, I think what a lot of organizations um, have to or what organizations really have to ask themselves as mentioned earlier is what are we trying to achieve right are we trying to improve our products and services with the help of startups are we trying to change the mindset of our employees so that they think more like entrepreneurs and become entrepreneurs in our organization are we looking at selling something a product or a service to startups and that's why we want to position ourselves close to startups and maybe we sponsor a pitching competition or startup conference i think this is really understanding that there is not one size fits all program for your objectives but you need to be very honest with yourself and i think this is also very important you need to understand that failure is an option right and there might be a desired outcome that you have in mind but you either might fail completely or you might miss the mark and have a different outcome. Like you never know, right? And having this environment and this atmosphere of, okay, it's okay to, you know, take a risk and it's okay that maybe we wanted to reach, to go left, but we had to pivot and had to go right. I think that that's very important. And also understanding, you know, allocating budget from the beginning. I mean, if you, if you try out something, you need to make sure that you have the right budget allocated. Um, and let me think if there's another yeah so this is like really understanding the objectives and then defining the program and creating this this culture of okay we, we are able to take a risk i had one more thing in mind but it just slipped my mind so maybe i'll come back to it later <laughs> no problem no problem i you have spoken about internal ambassadors champions as a pivotal part of these innovation programs right can you talk some more about why they one why they are important and what kind of people do you want to pick as ambassadors and how do you sort of make sure that they're engaged because again keeping in mind that they have been in this um traditional conventional setup for quite some time and they've spent some time here and although i'm sure that you will pick people who are really like curious about startups and and this new uh, innovation culture but then still like what one what kind of people will you pick and then second how will you keep them engaged throughout this program yeah so if we talk about setting up an innovation team that is looking at working with startups primarily emerging tech startups you need a mixture of people. You need one person who ideally is a bit senior, who has been in the country and the country in the company for a couple of years and kind of like knows knows the people and has these informal connections across departments who can just, you know, maybe call up someone he has previously worked with on a project and ask for a favor and, and explains and, and has also this this um this power that you know whatever he or she says is being listened to and has a certain gravity so this kind of like internal connector you definitely need somebody from the technical team or the product team 
to evaluate whether the solution that the startup is offering or looking to offer, so developing maybe from scratch, is useful or question, or put it differently, um, asking the question, how, what kind of solution do we need and, and how can how can we work with the startup that we currently have, right? Like really somebody who can evaluate the, the offering from a technical perspective. You also need somebody who is simply open to challenge his or her, her mindsets. And I think this, this applies to all of them, like really somebody who is resilient and somebody who uh, who is curious about it. You need a certain sense of curiosity about startups, about emerging tech in general. In the end, and I think this is applicable to any innovation program that we talk about, and it's not, it's, it doesn't matter whether we talk about innovation driven by tech or innovation driven by uh, amending processes or any other form, it comes down to the people, right? People do business with people. So if you work with somebody, you need to have, especially with startups who are very vulnerable, right? They, they put themselves out there with a product they may or may not be completely ready. They may have experienced some criticism. They have some certain pressure as well, because in the end, you know, they might run out of money soon. They have to raise another investment round. You need to be sensitive as well to what entrepreneurs go through. And I think you need to create this form of trust between you as a large organization and them. And very importantly, since they might only have been around for a couple of months or a year, and your organization may have been founded 150 years ago, you still have to see them on the same level. So if you speak to the CEO of a startup, it's the same as where you to speak to CEO of your own organization. So you need to show them respect as well, because I think that's what they deserve. And that's, that's relevant in every form of, uh, of business partnership. That makes a lot of sense. And um, also when, when you talk about getting these ambassadors, on and and I, I I really like how you are making sure that you cover all your bases. So you get people who are well connected, you get people who are curious, you get people who are technically sound to understand the consequences of getting a technology like this in a company which is years like decades old, right? And from a company which is relatively really new. Now coming to the uh, like talking about the other side of the table. So for startups, like you mentioned, they are really vulnerable and they're putting themselves out there. And also at the same time, they have other opportunities. So um, as an organization, as a corporate innovation function, um, how do you make sure that you get that top of the mind, top of the mind share in the minds of founders? Because there are lots of VCs, uh, the capital supply is huge. Uh, there, there are more capital suppliers to the same one deal and good quality startups have no dearth of capital or corporate innovation programs, right? So in, in such a competitive environment, I think it's more about um, innovation funds, corporate innovation funds competing for that one startup, so to say, one, one good product. So how do you make sure that you create a program which is so attractive and i know for a fact that you did that in dubai future accelerator because it was such a sought after program um it was backed by the government there was so much buying from a lot of corporates as well who weren't even part of the program i mean back then when dfa launched its first cohort i was actually a part of the startup bootcamp dubai's first cohort I think I think we talked about that before. Which is a fantastic program, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and then and then at that 
at that point in time a lot of our partners said that it's it's an excellent excellent program although they did not really were, were they did not have any skin in the game with dfa but they still mentioned that this is going to be an excellent program so there was there was buying throughout the the ecosystem for that program so how does a corporate build that for its for its innovation program yeah that that's a very good question and um we always especially towards the, in, in the last two years whenever we um had a chance to speak to a new government or private sector organization that who was interested in working with us there was always the question why do we need you guys in the sense of why do i need an external program partner that runs the startup program for me if i have 500 employees why can't i just run it on my own and that's that's a very very legitimate question right and i think this goes back to understanding what what a program brings to the table so as an organization what you need to ask yourself once you have decided what is your objective who is your team and and i just want to add that in addition to the three people i mentioned before you definitely need also somebody from a finance department a legal department who is on board and um, so you know to really cover the whole supply chain in a way of uh, the startup experience internally so you as an organization once you are clear on what is the objective what is the right program format and right program format you already might need some external advice on in you know when it comes to figuring out the the methodology the next question is what well, do i run it on my own or do i join a program do i team up with an organization as dubai future foundation who is running dubai future accelerators and other program uh, do i team up with Techstars, for example do i team up with other programs or am i building up the capabilities in-house and the advantage of being part of a program is that usually there's a certain brand to it that is known in the government in the in the corp in the startup scene because you might be a huge brand in the consumer product scene right but you might not have proven yourself in the in the startup ecosystem yet so i think this is something that you know corporates and government organizations really need to keep in mind and then also running a startup program isn't that easy it's not like if you're running a nine-week startup program you need to have an, at least so the, I always divide every program into four stages. The first one is, you know, the preparation stage, identifying the challenge. I mean, what are we trying to solve? What kind of startup are we looking for? What kind of solution? That's at least eight weeks, at least. Then you go into the second phase, which is the outreach and evaluation phase. Finding those startups, where do you find them? Do you join um, different online platforms where you can look for startups, um, which, which are brilliant, right? Are you attending specific conferences such as Web Summit, for example, or Step Conference in Dubai that already draws a huge crowd from this ecosystem? And then also, how do you evaluate a startup? Like, how do you, what kind of criteria do you set up to understand, well, this startup would work better for me than that? And, and that, that's not that easy, right? Like you really need some experience in that field. And then of course, the whole program execution. If you, for example, are inviting a startup to come to your headquarters um, for a specific duration to you know, really interact with your core team and for them to present your product, you can't just fly them in and 
then you know asked him to be in the office i don't know one or two hours um a, a day and, and then that's it you need to you know it's like you need to create a program for them around it it's it's very important and then of course the the, the fourth stage is is as important as all of the other ones is what happens after the program you know who's going to work with them how are you going to work with them what kind of partnership do you have or if they're not ready yet can you work with another partner to kind of build them up strong and then ask them to come back a year or two later and i think that that's that's really what organization have to keep organizations have to keep in mind is that these three questions what are we trying to achieve what's the right program and how do we execute this program on our own or with a partner that's super interesting um my next question is around so you spoke about identifying these challenges like what kind of startups do we want and i think that's a function of the internal priorities of the of the organization so they might want to solve for because a lot of organizations are these days trying to solve for sustainability reducing their carbon footprints for example that's like one of the most crucial and key priorities for a lot of businesses going forward say 5 years from now right um but then again that is just one area there might be a lot of other areas as well um so the 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 employees who are running this innovation program it i think it's a very very crucial part and because um this is something that we also internally like in my job i also do this and it's an important part of what we do so assessing the priority areas for the organization in terms of which area the business they want to transform i believe it's a big challenge is they're caught up with their operations and rarely have time to stop and think hard about the future so how do you in such a scenario look at the priority areas how do you bring them out are there any frameworks for that are there any best practices that you follow so can you talk about that yeah i mean you, you absolutely need it. it is a it's a very complex but a truly crucial stage you know identifying this challenge or this task that you're trying to solve for um we were always having specific workshops where we invited different department heads and had conversations around well what is important for you what is important for you now what kind of challenges do you foresee what kind of products or services are you looking at buying and in the end there are two different based on my experience two different types of challenges the one is just we just want to see what's out there when it comes to biohacking or nanotech or ai in consumer products like very very proud you know it's more kind of like a research market research um challenge where you're open to finding whatever you find of course which is fantastic you have a lot of applicants the challenge comes well how do you then evaluate them because if you don't know what you're looking for it's going to be difficult to find it but it absolutely makes sense to have these kind of challenges and call outs every now and then to really understand well what is out there and then maybe you define it in a way that if you're asking startups to apply maybe the application process is a bit shorter because you can't really guarantee that there is you know an involvement afterwards and maybe you set it up more as a pitching competition because that's going to be interesting for you and your colleagues to really learn about them and the one that is a bit more specific or actually way more specific really requires answering internal questions you know why is this important what will be the business impact or organizational impact if we achieve that have we tried it in the past did it work why didn't it work are there specific suppliers that we have worked with in the past why hasn't it worked with them? What kind of technologies have we applied before? 
is there any kind of tech that we cannot use in this field? You know, is there, for example, any restriction on an AI solution or any other field? Like really understanding this, how much budget do we have? Um, you know, and also these 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 kind of challenges are usually uh, linked to the strategy of the organization for the coming months or years. So there's always this: okay, what's what's the strategy? What are we trying to achieve? Um, and I think these are these two different distinctive challenge forms that, that I have come across if and if I've worked and both have their own merit, but you need to understand that, you know, you will attract different applicants by having these challenges. And I think one last thing I wanted to mention here is when you formulate these challenges, you need to make sure that the language and the words you use are not your typical internal language that only you and your colleagues understand because there is kind of like internal slang you know you really need to define it in a way that somebody who has never met your organizations really understands what you're looking for so you mentioned sustainability what does sustainability mean for your organization is it focused on environment is it focused on the financial sustainability of your organization what exactly is this right and i think that's really really important is how do you communicate what you're trying to achieve, which requires some time and effort. Definitely. And I think it's it comes from um, years and years of conditioning and we carry our own biases, right? Absolutely. And, and I mean, we're so conditioned to these jargons and these lingos that, that move around inside the organization that we um, often forget that. One practice that we also follow internally is also and it has, at times, it has helped us. Um, one practice is that also we ask the businesses to define the users of that solution. So yeah. Also, just trying to understand who is actually going to use this solution once implemented gives a lot of perspective to um, the founders who are actually trying to solve for that because sometimes really, really advanced AI solutions solving factory level challenges do not really work because the users do not understand that level of technology really well. So they probably need to um, sort of uh, bring it to a level where they properly understand and implement on um, the recommendations. So I think- I'd Absolutely, yeah. If I, if I may add to this, um, this is the, in my understanding, the notion of human-centered innovation, right? Like it's really understanding yep. who is the person or who are the group of people that gonna benefit from it. Um, because on the one hand side, and I think this is very important because um, oftentimes I see challenges or programs that focus on a specific technology, which is great, but it sometimes comes across as the only reason why the organization is interested in this technology, because it, it adds value to their brand. So then they can say, oh, we are using an AI solution. But emerging tech or any form of tech, it's just a means to something, right? And maybe you can even solve the, your challenge without emerging tech, without AI. Maybe that requires an amendment of processes internally. Um, and I think that's very important, right? That you get, don't get too much focused on the on the the means, as in the technology, as such, but really, as you said as well, putting the the end user in the center, so this human centered innovation. And I think then the question here as well, and this is again linked to the two previous forms of challenges I mentioned, is how do you actually measure the success of it, right? How do you then measure the impact? Absolutely, I think I think that's one of the most important points, especially 
in a corporate because everything is kpi driven yeah and uh, like you mentioned it it sometimes creates a lot of um sort of opaqueness in the whole process when you don't know who is working on which part of the whole problem so i think that that should bring in more clarity um a, a couple of last questions karen before we sort of close out um so talking from a founder perspective how do we ensure that the programs that we are creating are really founder friendly because i i recall you mentioned something about um post program integration for those startups right so some some of the startups some of the founders that you might be working with might not fit really well with the with the um, uh, with the organizations that you bring in in dfa for example um how do you make sure that these startups don't drop off and they and how do you make the overall program also more founder friendly yeah that's it's a very interesting questions and i've 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 learned quite a few lessons uh, along the way i have to say um one is really understanding so when we when we started out initially we asked uh, three um members of the team to come to dubai and we always wanted to have the founder here and in the majority of the cases he or she was present but sometimes it was not possible to attend the whole nine weeks right because they had other commitments they maybe had to present the different organization uh, conferences um, meet potential investors and so on so really understanding that as a founder, you wear so many different hats um, and you need to be mindful of that. You also, I think, need to, from the beginning, really outline what is expected. So how much time and how much um, time resources, but also staff resources are expected. And then are you expected if you really then work with the corporate in the end to maybe set up an office in their, in, in their country? You know, would you be willing to do this? I, is, it, is it required then afterwards, especially if you have an in-person program in the beginning, that you also meet the representative from these organizations on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis. And are, are you able to do that, right? I think this is really, really important. Um, so these expectations and, and the potential form of partnership that would follow afterwards is, I think, very crucial. And I think also, and this is what I, I took away from the programs that I had a chance of um, leading and working on, is the benefit of being surrounded by startups from different backgrounds, but also different countries, is that you never know whom you meet and you never know how this how this person may benefit you. I remember a company from Russia who was part of our program who then teamed up with, with a German founder who is based in um, in 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 the US um, and someone else was looking into entering China and they met a team from China and they you know they teamed up and I think this network is extremely important and uh, what I hear quite often from founders is that it's fantastic to be surrounded by other founders because, you know, you can also create this personal relationship and share what, what's what's on your mind. But I think as an organization, you really need to be very, very transparent. What do you expect from the team? And 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 also understand that, and, and that's, I think, very, you know, common that we see when startups reach a certain stage that sometimes the founder takes a different role and may not be the CEO anymore, but they may, might bring another CEO on board. So being respectful that the team may change or the positions that positions may change, I think is also very important from an organization's perspective and understanding that doesn't mean that they're failing. No, it's just a natural progression of building a, building a company, right? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Can my, um, uh, 
one of my last questions to you is um you mentioned in the beginning that there needs to be a culture within the organization that run it, that's that's running these programs there needs to be an open acknowledgement that we might completely fail right and the whole effort of like weeks and weeks of preparation and a lot of staffing everything might come down to zero right how do you um how do how do you not just communicate but how do you make sure that <laughs> that organizations are comfortable with this <laughs> Yeah, I think um I think it goes back to the question of how do you measure success? Cuz I don't think that even if you fail and if we define fail that while you realize that the startup you initially thought is a good fit for your organization turns out not to be a good fit. Even then there it's not um the outcome is not zero cuz you have especially the employees that you were working with the team on a daily basis or weekly basis have gained a lot of knowledge and experience from them. They may understand the technology better. They have definitely have uh, gained experience on how to work with startups. And it might give an understanding of, well, maybe our evaluation process is not the right one. And we need to adapt the criteria to make sure that we attract different forms of startups or select different forms of startups, right? I don't think that there is ever um, a zero outcome. It's maybe just different. And I think you need to acknowledge that, you know, need to be fair that yes, there's an outcome which may not be directly beneficial for the return on your, your bottom line from a monetary perspective, but there are other outcomes that we need to measure. And I think what organizations need to do as well, because it can get quite exhausting and tiring if you're the innovation team and you kind of like in brackets have to you know kind of have to fight for you know being heard internally for having your colleagues meet the startups for really considering them you also need to appreciate them right how do you appreciate them you know so that being part of the innovation team actually becomes an attractive position and not just something that is seen as a burden um but i think yeah that, that that that's very important you know really understanding that there are different forms of outcomes and celebrating those as well. Absolutely. I think, I think that sums it up pretty beautifully. And also I think it's the, the whole process of running an innovation program. And uh, I mean, success is like you, like you said, it's very subjective to what KPIs you said, but then again, um, it also, once you see some business impact, however little, it creates a positive reinforcement cycle of sorts where internal employees also start realizing that they have a positive impact on the company like not just like you said not just the bottom line but also for a lot of other uh, in a lot of other parameters as well i think that's that's really beautifully summed up uh, great karen so as as a closing for this session what i would really like for our listeners to just get a good understanding on is also what you're up to now so your <laughs> programs for DFA, um, and now you move back to Austria, which is which I believe is your uh, home country. That's um, correct. So, what are you doing these days, and what's what's in store uh, for for the coming years? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> thanks for your interest. Um, I currently, so I I have an official daytime job, but I'm involved in uh, various projects. Um, I'm currently working for Ars Electronica, which is a public sector organization also focused on innovation and um, emerging tech, um, which was founded in 1979, so quite quite some time ago. 
And the interesting part is that they, our activities focus on three pillars, and those are art, technology, and society. And we use art, um, this can be media art or any other form of art, to make very complex topics such as artificial intelligence more understandable and more approachable for the wider public, for the society, and then have conversations around what are potential or existing impacts on the society that um, we have to deal with or right now or in the future. So kind of like using, using the lens of art to, again, see things differently. Um, and there I'm building up a department called Future Thinking School, which offers different programs, primarily educational workshops for smart and medium-sized organizations and um, public sector organizations primarily, so that those professionals who are maybe not that much in contact with emerging tech and oftentimes have a bit of a skepticism because they're afraid that emerging tech solutions may impact their work or even the job security. So turning this skepticism into curiosity about digitization and, and emerging tech and being part of the organizations because of the conversation, because I think that's very important that we need to understand emerging tech is impacting our life period right economy society everyday life but we need to make sure because we're in the very early stage of defining the rules of how we apply these solutions we need to make sure that not only experts are part of these conversations but the wider public have a say in it as well um, and apart from this i'm engaged in a few other startup projects uh, i'm also working on a very interesting project around digital justice, um, looking into what kind of legal requirements are necessary in the future, creating awareness on, on, on the importance of legal requirements in the digital space when it comes to, for example, abusing um, intimate images that are you know, ending up online uh, or any other forms of incidences that have um, such as deep fakes that could have a potential reputational harm on an individual. So I'm very fortunate that I'm, I'm still connected internationally and um, I'm very passionate about, you know, bridging not only different cultures, but also bridging entrepreneurs, government and private professionals um, through the programs that I can contribute and create.